I have this marvelous book at home on my study bookshelf that is entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And some of the uh, passages that are included in that book, and I might remind you that this one we've just read is in two places. Some of them are in there because the text of Jesus, the commandment of Jesus, is just so hard to put into practice. It's just so difficult to actually live it out, like taking up our cross daily or following Jesus alone or like the text we just read, choosing not to be judgmental to others but focusing instead on taking the plank, addressing the moral need in our own selves. But other texts in the book at home are there for a different reason. They're hard because they are simply so difficult to understand. (laughs) It's just so hard to get what it is that Jesus is going after. And that's why the second part of the text that we've just read is included in that book I have at home. What blooming idiot would actually take something that was holy, say, for example, their family Bible, and throw it to the pit bull in the house? Who, Who would actually do that? What woman in her right mind would ever take a string of pearls, maybe something she'd been given, handed down through her family, and toss it into the pig pen, into the mud and grime of the pig pen? I mean, honestly, who would ever do something like Jesus is picturing here? What is Jesus going after? And what does this particular teaching, these last verses of Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 6, what does this really have to do? with your life, with your day-to-day existence, or with mine. That's what I want to explore with you today as we look together at these teachings of Jesus. At the start of the passage that we're reading this morning, Jesus offers his very famous teaching about being careful not to judge others before we address our own uh, needs. In this point, he is trying to draw out the understanding in us that there is an inextricable connection between our capacity to extend mercy to other people and our capacity to actually receive mercy from God himself. Elsewhere, Jesus says, by the measure you use towards others, it will be measured back to you. And in a sense, there is uh, the truth that And unless we have really taken in the wondrous gift of God's grace to us, we will probably not be dispensers of it to others. And the more we take in how wondrously we have been forgiven and not judged and condemned, the more likely it is that we will be people of such grace towards others. Jesus says that one of the defining marks of his disciples will be this graciousness. Uh, It will be one of the things that sets us apart from people in the world. Those who follow my way, says Jesus, will be inclined to genuinely forgive other people's debts because they know they've had their debts forgiven. In a world that is constantly demanding payment for everything, and often with interest, we will be a generous people with our grace towards others. Similarly, we will be people who will go the second mile, says Jesus. We'll be willing to turn our cheek even when offended by other people in a world that is not inclined to go even the first mile or even to turn or even not to avoid punching back when a cheek has been slapped. We will be unusual people in the way we practice this forbearing, 
persevering kind of grace. Following my example, says Jesus, my disciples will be people who bless those who curse them, who do good to those who persecute them. Amidst this world where revenge is considered appropriate, if not normative, we will be people of an extraordinary, outgoing kind of grace. Okay, you with me so far? Grace, and this is what the whole first part of this text is about, grace will be a defining mark of our lives. And yet, as I'm sure is obvious to you from certain personal experiences, there are difficulties with this kind of gracious lifestyle when carried to excess. I think, for example, of the woman whose boyfriend kept on beating her. And uh, he would beat her, and then he would come back a little while later, and he'd apologize for what he had done, and he would promise it would never happen again, and then feelings would get worked up down the road, and he'd beat her again, and she would stay with him, and she would stay with him, even though friends and neighbors were saying, get away from this guy, she would stay with him, believing it was her job to keep forgiving him, and she just kept on forgiving him all the way up until the day he killed her. Is this what Jesus has in mind? Or I think of the man whose wife just continued to cheat on him. This happened in the town where I grew up. Serial adultery. And, and the husband just kept taking her back. She would promise each time she was done with this. She was going to really change this time. She would make it up to him. And so he stayed. He stayed invested in the relationship right through the day she brought home that awful disease that infected him. Is this what Jesus has in mind when he calls us to be people of grace? I shudder to think how those who threw their bodies in front of bayonets and bullets to purchase the freedom of their compatriots. I shudder to think how they would regard their sacrifices if they could see how the sacred liberty that they died to obtain or to protect is being used so selfishly and without discipline by so many in our day. Is this what they had in mind? Is this the reward of the grace given by their sacrifice. No doubt you could come up with your own scenarios. You you have your own experiences. You think of that person that you love, who you've watched refusing to depart from a backstabbing friend. You can think of that person you know who will not leave that company that is involved in unethical practices and treats their employees just miserably. You know that person that, 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 that doesn't know how to deal with this child who never grows up, who just keeps taking and taking and abusing the grace of the parent. And you just wonder why they keep doing it. You can think of that young woman who perhaps has the boyfriend who just uh, wants her for her body and just keeps using her, and yet she refuses to leave, to leave him. Something in us wants to beg people like this, right? To just cut off the relationship, to leave the scene, to at least back off to a safe distance, a reasonable distance. And yet something in them just keeps saying, hang in there. Keep forgiving. Don't judge. It's the Christian way. 
Is it? I mean, mean, is it? Really? The Christian way to be people of perpetual grace? Not according to Jesus. That may surprise you. Not according to Jesus. When our Lord says, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs, I'm convinced he was intentionally providing a very important balance to the unconditional grace that is sometimes portrayed as the only truly Christian approach to life. I know we hear often from preachers, I'm to blame for this, I suppose, about how disappointed God is when we practice a a judging truthfulness that's untempered by grace. We hear a lot about that. But it's also important, at least equally important, that we hear the other side of the message. God is similarly saddened when we practice an excessive graciousness that is not tempered by truth, by hard lines, by boundaries, by certain kinds of important fences. The truth, said Jesus, is there are dogs in this world. (laughs) Okay? There are dogs out there. And Jesus was speaking to a first century audience who would immediately picture a certain kind of animal. It would not have been that loving, well-groomed Fido we have at home. It would have been that rapacious, coyote-like kind of dog that roamed the ancient world and frankly roams a lot of the parts of, of the undeveloped world today. The back alleys of the ancient world were were filled with these kinds of of creatures. They roamed the world in packs, the better to hunt with, you know, more strength in numbers. But as would be perfectly clear if you really watched these packs functioning, every dog in the pack was out for itself. They would snarl and bite at each other if they had an opportunity to to find a particularly tasty morsel or to to lap up the, the offal in the gutter. They'd edge each other out for better position. It was not dogs of the four-legged kind like this, however, that Jesus was picturing. He was simply using this as a vivid poetic image of the kind of dog that walks on two legs, of which we must be equally wary. Jesus never had the chance in his day to be confronted by the modern press corps. He never had to face the paparazzi or a political action committee. But he understood the kind of people that travel in packs like this to our day uh, and the sharpness of their teeth. He knew the kind that frequent the, the cocktail party circuit. He knows the kind who just delights in gathering around some tasty tidbit of gossip or some personal vulnerability and just ripping and ripping and ripping away until there's nothing left of the secret, nothing left of the vulnerability, nothing left of the reputation. He knows the kind that will even turn on a comrade when, the, when that individual's back is pointed the other way and just shred them for the taste of the meat, for the bloodthirsty pleasure of having the upper hand, the secret knowledge about someone else. Jesus knows sin. He knows how it works its way out in human character. And he knew as well that the countryside had its share of pigs, Uh, He had intentionally chosen that image in this teaching. 
He was not thinking of those precious little pink fellows that people bring home for pets now. He was not picturing Wilbur from Charlotte's Web, okay? Nothing like that. Jesus was referring to dangerous boars, the tusked kind, the kind that still, to this day, roam the Jordan River Valley and are a danger to tourists. I worked many years ago on a, uh, on a farm in Katona, New York, and it was there that I was disabused of my common uh, perception that pigs were essentially stupid, dirty creatures by nature. It turns out they are neither stupid or dirty by nature. Pigs are amongst the most intelligent mammals on earth. They're uncommonly intelligent uh, creatures. Uh, beyond tasting bread with eggs or Swiss cheese, their chief liability is that they are terribly nearsighted. That's, that's what accounts for a lot that we see in the life of a pig. They are terribly nearsighted. They cannot really tell who or what is coming at them. And so they're, you know, somewhat hostile towards life. Uh, they can't find what it is they're looking by kind of gazing at a distance. They've got to root around for it. They've got to have it right in front of them. This short-sightedness makes them mean-spirited. That makes sense, doesn't it? I think of the story of the pig who was eating his fill of acorns around the base of a tree. And then when he eaten every one of the acorns that was there, he started to dig up at the roots of the tree, greedy for more. And all of a sudden, this wise crow comes fl- fluttering down and let a, lit, a lights on a branch and, and looks down at the pig and says, caution, brother pig, caution. If you lay bare the roots, then the tree will wither and die. Let it die, said the pig. What do I care as long as there are acorns? Short-sightedness abounds today. We live in a culture where there are those who would erase Christian history from our books, who would erase Christian moral principles or even the discussion of faith in the public square, never realizing that it is the religious root which gives life to the tree of our entire moral and ethical and economic system. And there are some who believe that there will always be acorns, even if we tear away at the roots of this nation's life. There are those in business who would soil their character, roll in the mud, compromise their integrity for the sake of the quick fix, the attractive nut now, not seeing the longer-term consequences of participating or creating this kind of a culture. There are very intelligent people who are so busy rooting in the mud for life's transient acorns that they don't even hear the call of distress from their own family members from the friends around them, much less hear the word of wisdom being spoken from the branch above. There is a big part of me that when I meet these kinds of people, and when, perhaps when you meet these kinds of people, does not want to get overly judgmental about this. 
there's this part of me that wants to keep on loving these kinds of people. Feels I should. Like I should keep on investing in them. I should keep on showing them patience. I should keep on expressing long-suffering because if I just wait a little longer, I'll be able to turn the bitch into a blessing and the pig into a prince. That's what I think. And yet if you search the Scriptures, you discover that there is very little record of even Jesus trying to do this. I wrote a book this past year on the subject of evangelism. I reread the Gospels with fresh eyes. I read looking for the pattern of Jesus in influencing and reaching people. I was jaw-dropping, dumbfounded to see the extent to which Jesus did not chase after hard-headed people. I guess I had been so influenced by the image of the good shepherd, the one who goes out after the lost sheep, that I did not realize that the bulk of the witness to the lifestyle of Jesus suggests one who is extraordinarily prudent in the investments he made in people. He showed long-suffering grace with those who were responsive to, to, to his call. And yet, when Jesus met canine characters, people like Herod or, or some of the Pharisees, people who preferred to bark rather than to listen, people who piddled on living things rather than nurturing them, people who, who bit the hand that tried to feed them, Jesus rarely wasted words and energy on them. I mean, it's, he, he went silent in front of them, actually, in many cases. Uh, he, he went looking instead for those who had the ears to hear. Those were the people Jesus wanted to invest himself in. Why then do we, why do I feel so obligated to spend so much time trying to court the favor of pigs and dogs? Why do you sometimes do the same? What good is there in sharing what is sacred? Uh, about us, our hopes, our secrets, our hurts, our dreams, our gospel with people who do not have any intention of valuing such gifts. What's the reason for it? I find it striking that when Jesus encountered piggish personalities as well, those who were always rooting around in the mud for money and fame and power, who were too busy doing these things to work at relationship with God or with other people. Jesus didn't chase after them, begging them to listen to him. He didn't. There's not an instance in the New Testament where you see Jesus chasing after people like this. It's not that he doesn't care for them. He did. He, he cares profoundly for all people, even the, the most canine and piggish person. Jesus sheds hot tears over them, longing to, to see them turn. The Bible says that as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the holy city, he wept over it. And he, he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. You've gone piggish. The scriptures say that Jesus loved the rich young ruler who approached him one day. But when the man refused Christ's invitation to come and share life with him, to let go of the things that bound him in life, the man turned and walked away and Jesus simply let him go. He let him go. Christ went so far as to actually command his followers to do likewise. 
He, he told them not to spend endless energy and time on those who had no time or respect for the sacred stuff of God. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Actually, the text goes on to say, do it as a testimony against them. In other words, do it visibly so that they actually go, wow. Maybe that would wake them up and make them responsive. Move on to those who value pearls, Jesus says. Life is short. Invest your time and energy wisely. Why? Do we sometimes stay in jobs and friendships and organizations where the connection, the response is so minimal? What real sense is there to continue to give your pearls, your time, your loyalty, your affection to people who do not recognize them, who don't see the precious things they truly are? Now, some of you, who hang around this place, have got to be thinking about now. Dan woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. <laughs> I mean, usually he's just all about grace here. You know, extra mile love. Wow, this is a hard saying that he is bringing to us today. Yeah, it's a hard saying for me to hear too. But let me be very clear about what I'm not advocating because Jesus is not advocating. I'm not suggesting that we suddenly cut off from our lives anybody who's imperfect or a little hard-headed. We'd have to cut everybody off. They'd certainly have to cut us off. Remember, we have to hold this teaching of Jesus in creative tension with his other teachings about the importance of grace, which is why I think he, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with grace and closes with truth in just these first six verses. He's encouraging us to hold these things together. It helps me personally recall that I am sometimes the dog or the pig in somebody else's life. But what Jesus is clearly encouraging us to do is to temper our grace with truth, to temper our goodwill with real discernment. In other words, to be more careful when handling sacred stuff. Let me suggest in closing today two ways you might do that. Two ways all of us might live into the implication of what Jesus is saying here. First, ask God to help you discern where you may currently be giving away what is sacred or what is precious to someone or something that's not able, worthy, or ready to really receive it. Ask God to give you vision for where it is you're wasting your time and your resource, that which is precious. Pray that God will show you how to change that scenario. It may be, it may be as simple as going to that person and saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to drop off. I'm dropping out. I'm backing off. I'm letting go. I'm shaking dust off the sandals here because it's not going anywhere. This is not helping. And that may be enough to start a whole new kind of conversation. Or you may just have to walk away. You may just have to. Ask God to show you where to distribute your pearls, your love, your gifts, your very life 
as a wise steward would. And let me be really clear about this. If you're in a covenantal relationship, a.k.a. marriage, you are really called to go long (laughs) and hard and gracious with that person. But it may be hard, it may be time for one of those sandals across the bridge in the nose conversations in in your marriage. Uh, Just be prepared to have the other sandal coming your direction. Uh, Secondly, (laughs) do what you can, do what you can to make the church you attend a place where people can give what is sacred away, can cast their pearls before you and before others. Do what you can to create the kind of environment where people can give what is sacred with confidence that they will, these things will be treated with reverence by you and by others. God has called you and me, all the people of his church, to create this kind of sacred circle. In fact, the early church that we celebrate on Pentecost was that kind of a circle. It's a place where sins and failures are treated compassionately. It's a place where secrets are handled with care and confidentiality. It's a place where pains and hopes and dreams are not dismissed, but explored seriously. So today, stop and listen to someone. Look for what is sacred about them. Invite them to share their heart with you, their stories, their pains and their hopes. Treat every person you encounter as if they might be an angel, just not recognized yet. As if they were sacred in and of themselves. For the book of Hebrews says that by so doing, some actually have entertained angels unawares. Amidst a world that's going to the dogs, that is often occupied by swine, let's make sure that the church will be a sanctuary for those just trying to be human, human beings hoping to meet the hands of God. Please pray with me. Lord, because we have been blessed beyond imagination by your most amazing grace, we want to be people of unusual mercy and patience too. Yet because you have also told us the truth that our time upon this earth is precious, the battle fierce, we want to make sure that we are investing ourselves as we really should. In these coming days, please guide us to the people who can really hear the message of hope you would speak through us. Guide us to the friends and loved ones who can receive and respect and cherish the unique gifts of spirit and personality we bring to this earth. Continue to make of this wonderful church something different than the surrounding world that we may all be people who are trustworthy with the sacred stuff. By your Spirit, Lord, make us wise and loving, that we may declare the glories of you who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.